I'm John Brandon, professional comedian for more than 30 years. And I'm Amanda McKinney, John's daughter for more than 30 years. Our family believes laughing is a learned behavior, and we want to teach you how we do it. So welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. It's more of a dining room table. I think we've mentioned that before, haven't we? (laughs) Full disclosure. Carl, this is our dining room table, so I don't want to give you the wrong impression. We're mm-hmm. super jazzed about this episode because I made a new friend a week or so Yay. ago. <laughs> I think uh, I don't think I'm overstating that, am I, Joel? Am I am I no. rushing to friendship? Heck no, you you actually might be my very first friend. I don't I don't think I don't know if I had any before. <laughs> this is even more special than I thought. This is a momentous occasion. <laughs> I have millions of friends. Uh, so I, I did the Huckabee show a couple of weeks ago. I've already talked about that with Carl. By the way, Carl, if you're listening to this, you are our listener. We only have one listener, and we're on a first-name basis with you, and your name is Carl. And so I was doing the Huckabee show, and I was up at the green room, which was insanely big, and they had a chandelier in there. That yeah, was, that was that was some green room. It was there was no reason to ever have a chandelier that big in a green room. <laughs> it really made an impression on you too, because this is probably the third, third time, time I've talked I've about heard it. about this chandelier. It's in the green true. Room. That's, that's I was I raving about it. It was it was the nicest green room I had ever been in. Um, also, the only green room I've I'd ever been in, but <laughs> pro- probably also the nicest. Is that true? You've been in other green rooms. No, that I mean Huckabee was. Uh, that's probably kind of like the biggest. Uh, TV type thing I've I've ever been on, you know. Okay, I'm well, just, we should talk about that too then. Yeah, I'm, I'm normally just here in this in this laundry room. This is where I live. So I, you know. we were uh, okay. Well, I got I got to introduce him before we start talking about. And uh, so I met uh, Joel Berry, who is the managing editor for the Babylon Bee, which is uh, my favorite publication, favorite comedy publication, and probably yours as well. Anybody who understands comedy has got to make the Babylon Bee one of their favorite. Did you actually happen to mention to Joel about your experience being on the Babylon Bee podcast? That's what I, I want to know. I think I did, didn't I? Didn't I mention that I was on the podcast? You may have mentioned it, but then I, I we didn't really talk about it because then I would have had to admit that I haven't heard that episode yet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you did and admit that. And then my that. boss would know that I don't listen to our own <laughs> podcast, so I'll be in trouble. You did admit that to me. You admitted that you didn't listen, and so I was... I, I was okay. We could still be friends. I'll play catch up. I, I do need to listen to that one. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a, few you, weeks, not, a few weeks behind. <laughs> not May necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's what's so funny about like whenever something happens that we're kind of excited about, we have this uncanny ability to like tempt fate into throwing a big old monkey wrench into things. Basically, what happened was we booked Dad's flight out to California. He had to stay in Arizona because the hotels were only allowing you to stay for seven days at a time because of oh. quarantine things. So that was kind of weird. Yeah. So he was all prepared to go stay in the hotel, um, drive his rental car like two hours over the state line. And then the sneak day- Sneak into of, California from Arizona. Sneak, all, yep. all sneaky-like. But uh, we, And then he gets there and apparently Kyle had car trouble. Kyle had car trouble. Couldn't make it into the studio. Ethan had some sort uh, of a knee problem. And so he was on heavy narcotics- <laughs> Oh man, Ethan on narcotics. That's yeah. it's that's a, a combination. It was, it was pretty fun. It was. Uh, he it may was not weird. remember it. I don't so. think he even remembers that I was on there, and so that's fantastic. You haven't even seen the episode, and you know more about it than and Ethan, Ethan does. Yeah. who was actually on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's awesome. The other thing besides catching up, uh, Carl, on the fact that his name is Carl, is that this is. Our podcast is literally recorded in the dining room with my kids in the background. Mm-hmm. And like like if you were to come and actually be at the table and talk about stuff that we would actually talk about, which means like sometimes it's funny and that's great. But other times we talk about why some other things are funny and that's not as funny, but, <laughs> but it's more maybe interesting, hopefully. And then sometimes my kids come up and say, mommy, can I have my phone right next to me over my shoulder so that happened a few seconds ago uh i yeah. love it i love it so, so just be prepared for that so uh <laughs> so joel berry is 
the managing editor at the Babylon Bee. I think I mentioned that. And I want to ask you how that came to be. How is it that you wound up? Because he wants at your the, job. At the Babylon Bee. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to unseat you and, and take over. No, I'm just curious because you're an Ohio guy. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Yeah, they're out in California. Yeah. So how does how does all that happen? Yeah, so it's weird. I, I I just I have to learn more about your your podcast and why. I just I love the name of your podcast, the the comedian next door, because it's kind of I don't know. I don't even consider myself a comedian. I guess it's weird how I got here. I um I I was I was a fan uh, from the very beginning. I loved the Babylon Bee. I remember when I first discovered them. You know, I I think their biggest, uh, their, their first big viral article was the, uh, the headline that said, uh, Holy spirit, unable to move through congregation after fog machine breaks. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that was the first one I found as well. And, and I thought, okay, these guys just get me, this is, this is it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, just was a huge fan. I was working in just like a dead end, miserable corporate. I was selling corporate logistics, uh, supply chain logistics services to corporations. I was in sales. Um, and it, <laughs> yeah. it was as boring as it sounds. Supply <laughs> and, logistics services. Yeah. So, so is like, that like so, helping corporations figure out how to ship stuff and receive stuff? And Yeah. So most, most corporations that make stuff actually make stuff in China. So it, I would help them get their stuff from China to their customers. And, um, Oh, you know, so you would that's like shipping stuff. Yeah, you would, you would be the guy that everybody would be yelling at now right because now. their containers yes. are outside the, the port. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so glad I'm not in supply chain <laughs> anymore, right? especially right now. Okay. So, so yeah, I, I did that, and and um, I was, um, I you know, it was a job. I I kind of I got it right after college. I needed a way to pay the bills. I, I me and my wife we got married right after we graduated, and and I just kind of fell into this career. Um, not really intentionally. It's just it was the job that was available at the time, and um, kind of worked my way up this you know corporate ladder for ten years. And and you know I wasn't happy. It was it, it was what it was. And um, it, at some point, my my wife, uh, who I you know I credit God and my wife with all of this. Um, she approached order. me and <laughs> what's that in that order? Yes, exactly. Um, she approached me and said, you know, you're, you're miserable and I don't like it when you're miserable and, um, you should, you should just take a step back and figure this out. And she's, she's a nurse. She said, I'll, I'll pull extra shifts at the hospital. And why don't you just take a year and, uh, figure this out. And so that's what I did. I took a year. Um, uh, I left that world, uh, of, of corporate supply chain kind of passed up a, a, a pretty big, uh, gig in Cincinnati at the time, an opportunity that, that I had accepted. And then I turned around and, and decided not to do it. And, um, I just spent a year of uh, writing. So I wrote for, uh, I started my own blog. I started my own podcast. I uh, started writing for different publications, uh, different newspapers, um, op-ed pieces. I started my own, uh, satire website called the petty profit. <laughs> So I kind of borrowed from the uh, the bees alliteration there and and did kind of bee style satire, and then uh, when the bees started uh, allowing subscribers to submit ideas on this little headline forum that they have, I started doing that. Uh, they let you submit four headlines a day, and um, I guess you know I, I just kind of had enough of a knack for it that I started doing more for, more and more for them, and. Uh, over time, over about the course of eight or nine months, it turned into a full-time gig. So that's what I'm doing now. It's uh, it's amazing. I, I I can't. I still can't believe I'm doing it. And and this is what you're looking at. This this laundry room. This is my office. So all the bee yeah. jokes are formulated right here <laughs> next to the, the underwear and the t-shirts. <laughs> I love that so much. I uh, because that is is similar. It's not a laundry room, but it would be a similar backdrop where all of my brilliant comedy. Uh, comes to be. And you wrote in the basement for a long time. Uh, for a long time, I wrote in the basement, which looked like a prison. Looked yeah. like a prison cell. Prison, like, like a concrete cave with like, yeah. Like that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I think that's that that was a huge revelation for me. Was I kind of had this this idea in my head, this romantic idea of what writers do, and like I picture them in 
like in this secluded cabin in the woods, like with squirrels, you know, on their shoulder and they're, they've got this feather pen and they're, they're penning these beautiful thoughts. And, and then I read, I, I think it was Stephen King's on writing. Uh, when I found out he read it, he wrote his first huge novel on a, on a washing machine in his laundry room on a little typewriter. And um, you kind of realize that the, that the process of writing is, I mean, it's, it's just, there's nothing glamorous about it. It's just a grind. You find a place and you, and you do it. You, you put your thoughts on paper and, and keep doing that until you get something good. Yep. Yep. What are you looking at me for? I thought you were going to jump up on your chair and cheer. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There, it's funny how people, people think that there is some sort of, uh, you know, like, like, mountaintop that you go to if you're going to write and then and then there's this glorious light that shines around and you absorb (laughs) that light and out comes yeah these these productions the golden plates or something yeah yeah yeah, that's what people think i think they call it the muse they wait to be visited by their muse Mm. and they want you know to feel like writing i think people are very very inspiration driven they're like well today Mm -hmm. i feel like doing something creative but yeah, that doesn't work for somebody who's depending on their writing to pay the bills. So that's right. Yeah, it's a craft, it, just like anything else. And I, I think, as miserable as I was in the corporate world, I think it at least gave me that that sense, that work ethic of of sometimes, you know, like in sales, for example, you just have to grind things out. You know, sales is a numbers game. You um, you call as many people as you have to until you get a sale. Uh, same thing with writing jokes. You. You pitch as many uh, bad headlines as you can until you come up with a good one. Yep. And yep. so, uh, yeah. See, I told you he'd be a good guest. <laughs> You're just saying that because he's agreeing with you. Oh. Right about everything. <laughs> about everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have, I, I've been asked a question many times through my, through the years, you know, where did you go to learn how to be a comedian? Where did you go to, and, and people honestly think that there's a, there's a high council out there somewhere that mm. that teaches you how to be funny mm. and it's it's incorrect well i am curious about your story though cuz one thing i hear from stand up comedians in particular is um it seems like many of them um had like terrible childhoods um <laughs> and they're very miserable and uh maybe they found out early on that they were funny that like they they got this joy from like making a parent laugh or making their siblings laugh and, and it kind of just stuck with them and they decide this is what I want to do with my life. Like, is that a similar story for you or no, or is it completely different? No, not at all. I had a great childhood. Um, <laughs> how, how are I'm you? Sad. How, how can you do comedy if you had a great childhood? <laughs> I'm sad to tell you that I had a great childhood. Uh, so I have nothing to talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, it, the comedy, it's true that comedy is connected to pain and suffering at some level. And and so I suppose the people who have got really awful childhoods are advantaged, are privileged in some way over the rest <laughs> of us who have to, who have to sort of uh, amplify the pain that I we have. I saw a meme once that was like Kronk from Emperor's New Group, or not Kronk, Pacha from Emperor's New Group doing that uh-huh. face where he's got the okay sign and he's like yeah. chef's kiss and it says hat tip to the parents who gave you just enough trauma to make you hilarious and not so much to make you a serial killer. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. That's right. That's I, I kind of relate to that. I, I kind of feel like I hit that sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Love you mom and dad. <laughs> well, it's, it, if you're, if for, in, for my uh, for my story is I had a great childhood. Uh, grew up in the Midwest, uh, in Indiana. I've never never been anywhere. I've, I've grown up right here in Indiana, and I I, I was always funny though. Uh, not not necessarily intentionally. It's just the, the, some God makes some people funny just the way they talk yeah. and the way they the way they relate things and. Mm-hmm. And so people laughed when I talked and, yeah. and I have adults would summon me into the room to have me tell a joke that I had told before. <laughs> so tell that joke that you told at lunchtime or whatever. And I thought that's what happened to all kids. I thought that that was just what happened. You know, when you were kids, sometimes adults had you come in and make them laugh. I had no idea that it was 
that it was rare. That's awesome. And so, well, but yeah. you're also funny because like, and I don't mean, I mean, you're being funny right now a little bit because I think that you're like blocking out some stuff that you have just kind of accepted as normal that other people might find interesting as part of your backstory. Like you had a parent with manic depression, bipolar disorder, who did wow. some pretty crazy stuff yeah. when you were in high school. Yeah, that's and, helpful. You know, yeah. <laughs> in order to process yeah. and deal with some of that stuff, you know, you made yeah. some intentional choices for how do I, how do I move with this being part mm-hmm. of my world and my reality? Yeah. So right. that's like, whenever somebody says, did you have a bad childhood? And you're like, no. I'm always like, well, that's true, but that's because everybody has a bad childhood. You're a funny guy who has learned how to take everything as a blessing or a potential, you know, moment yeah. for joy, and not because you are looking at it the way that, like, the average person who's not funny might look at it, which is, yes, I have just been so traumatized. Yeah, from all of well, this that's stuff. in vogue now, isn't it? Like, kind of everyone has to be traumatized and and. Uh, <laughs> oppressed in some way we were just talking yes. about that you have to look like, through the lens the proper lens when somebody asks you that question what was your childhood like you have to get on your victim coat and you yep. have to put on your trauma goggles let me tell or you're you. not in the in group if you're not yeah right well, yeah if you're if you're a victim you have a lot of power right in That's this true. uh in this culture right but you yeah. i think the the other question too because you said some people are just born funny but to be fair you also have a workshop and a book where you're trying to teach people the process so you intentionally step back to go how do i write these jokes or what am i thinking like what's the step-by-step process of what i'm doing when i'm building a punchline and yeah. you've been able to do that in a way that i think even really funny people could agree that's how they do it but they didn't realize that's what they were doing until they heard you talking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is what, that's kind of why I wanted to talk, because Joel and I talked a little bit in the green room underneath that Under spectacular that chandelier. chandelier. Yes, that's four. That was, a, that was an amazing chandelier. Right, let's talk <laughs> about let's, that. Let's just talk about that chandelier. Let's finish up while. talking about that. <laughs> that the, and, and you had, you alluded to this when you said that it's your job. You, some days you just have to, you go and do your job and you're not inspired. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim Hope, is a friend of mine and he said the same thing a few years ago and got me thinking he was talking to uh tom wilson who played biff in back to the future did you know that anyway (laughs) i was listening to their podcast and jim it was is a writer for television comedy is a script uh writer he was a head writer for a couple of disney programs and for george lopez show like dog with a blog and dog with a blog and he was telling george or no he's telling tom that uh, when when I go in, I have to I have to write comedy. I don't have the luxury of being able to say, "Well, I just don't feel funny today," because yeah. it's my job. And uh, there is there is truth to that, right? I mean, you don't feel funny every day, do you, Joel? No, no, no very rarely, actually. <laughs> yeah. right. It is there is a craft to it, you know. It, it is. Uh, it is something that you develop over time and, and you get a sense for kind of the beats and how words work together uh, so that they hit correctly. You know, and, and our, our style of comedy, the V is a very specific one too. You know, it's, it's uh, it, it, it is designed to hit you as you're scrolling through a news feed with a bunch of other stuff coming at you. It has to kind of stand on its own without the picture, although the picture can amplify it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, over time you kind of get a, a sense for, for what works and what doesn't. And uh, sometimes you even kind of forget if it's funny or not. Like you've, you've just done it so many times. You've seen it so many times. You're like, is this funny? I can't remember. I, can't remember <laughs> you know, I, funny. I, I know by according to comedy rules, it should work, but I, I think it's funny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's another great point in that I have said before, and I'm not trying to take anything away, but yeah. the, the thing is about the B is the headline really is the whole joke. And so... Yeah. You know, you can read the article, but a lot of times the article is a little anticlimactic because yeah. the joke you've already told the joke. You you, exactly. you understand the joke and the punchline. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that we, we focus most of our time in, in getting those headlines. Um uh, and then, you know, maybe t- 15, 20% of our time is spent on the, the Photoshop and the in the article. Right. Yep. I think that's how it's supposed to be with satire anyway, though. Like that's not just a criticism of the bee that's just the well, way it's not a no, criticism. It's, it's just an observation yeah of, uh, 
<laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I always, you know, I always was amazed by what comedians do and getting up on stage because it's a whole, it's a, another hundred different skills that you have to do to deliver that, you know, kind of comedy to, to an audience. Um, you know, being able to read the audience and know exactly how long to like pause before the punchline. It's just this amazing skill set. Um, I found like sometimes I'll give speeches or talks where I'll, um, I'll give the B jokes. And I found that like the comedic approach that works best for the B in front of an audience is almost to read it as dryly as possible as if I don't expect it to be funny. Yes. Um, you know, and, and it, it just, it just works like that. If I try to jazz it up too much, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I could see that being the case. I could also see it working very well to literally have a slideshow and just like pop yeah. and force people to read it yep. in their own voice. But yep, I do that too. And it's, yeah. it's funny. You, you kind of, you click the slide and you, you just slowly hear the laughter build yep. and build and build <laughs> and they get to that last phrase and they're just, they're on the floor. It's great. Yep. But that's, what you just said is true uh, of standup as well, in that if you if you don't act like you know that what you're saying is funny, it's much <laughs> it's much better than mm. than if you if you pause, you know, and and look around, you know. Did you guys hear what I just said? <laughs> the only the only person who could get away with that was Norm Macdonald. I don't know how he. Was. He would give a punchline and then he would just like stare at you with this goofy grin on his face. Like that was funny, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> you know, right. and sometimes it wasn't funny, but you would just laugh at how he was delivering it like <laughs> in this dumb way. Yeah. Well, it's um, the art of trying to get the audience to basically read your mind. Like it, yeah. there are similarities in that you're trying to get, you're trying to put a headline in the audience's minds, but yeah, mm. it's, it's the performance in trying to lead them to get to that headline, I guess, for lack of a better term, which is also called a punchline, helping yeah. them to do it themselves and arrive there themselves. So you basically, you want them to see it in their own mind's eye and then read it um, so that they can, so that that laughter can build the same way that if they were watching it on a screen. Right. Yeah. So, well, I want you to read the I will. I have to get my, my uh, phone back from the six-year-old, but I w you didn't bring it with you to the table. I did, and then she came and stole it. You were sitting right here. Okay. She came and took it. But if you can start by saying what you wrote about SNL, because that's what started the whole thing. Okay. I shall be right back. So uh, the the my soapbox, uh, Joel, is that that Christians are not doing a great job of being funny, uh, mm -hmm. and not just from the standpoint. It's it's. Important from the standpoint of how it impacts the culture, certainly, but it's mm -hmm. also important from a personal standpoint. If you have an anemic sense of humor, then you are a miserable person, and yeah. that's not yeah. good for that's not good for our brothers and sisters to be unable to detect uh, humor that God has put yeah. throughout this this place. Yeah. And so, uh, I I know that I'm not talking to somebody who is unfamiliar with criticism for, uh, for having right. a sense of humor. And so one of the things that I have noticed in the culture is that the, uh, the, the people who are uh, on the other side, the people who have been known for being the funny people, your late night talk show hosts and Saturday night live, for example, yeah. are, are advancing an agenda more than they're than they're being funny. Yeah, you know, they've got a they have a, a statement that they're trying to make in every single sketch and every single monologue, mm -hmm. versus just noticing what's funny about the culture and commenting on it. Yeah. And so uh, recently, I guess last week, Saturday Night Live had a sketch about uh, Goober the Clown. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut up on that sketch. He's like, yeah. I do you want to do you want to hear a um, a headline that I wanted to publish that Kyle vetoed and wouldn't let me? <laughs> yes, answer, that answers one of my questions. Okay, go, yeah, I do. All right, you you'll hear it here first, folks. Uh, don't just don't tell anybody. Uh, let's see. Let me. It's let me just Carl. It we only have one listener. You <laughs> don't have to. Kyle write. vetoed. So this was this was a thing that Kyle Mann vetoed. From yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little spicy. It's uh, yeah. It's uh, the headline went: Neo Nazis hire silly SNL Klein to destigmatize uh, the Holocaust. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> ooh, ah, ooh. There you that go. That one hurts. Yeah. 
There you go. This is your this is your post. Did you want me to read a chunk of it? Well, I, I not necessarily. I, unless you were so, basic- what would what would I would rather get Joel's take on that? Did you see the sketch, the the clown sketch? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what I I wrote my opinion about why it wasn't funny and i tried to be mm-hmm. objective about it i tried to i tried to say okay let's set aside the fact that this is about abortion and it's very difficult to make jokes about killing babies mm-hmm. let's set that aside and let's just do it from the standpoint of how how does good satire work how does satire yeah. work and so that was what i wrote about but i would like to get your your thoughts about that sketch yeah, well, it was interesting because I think my my first reaction to it was, I mean, obviously, like you're horrified because, I mean, <laughs> the way she's talking about this this horrible thing, abortion, um, and you kind of think, where's the joke? How is this funny? Um, I, I think it, it it fails as satire because satire has to, you know, it has to be rooted in truth. And I think... Um, the the she was trying to make a statement about how our society stigmatizes abortion um, and makes it hard to talk about. Yeah. And so she's kind of doing this over the top bit where it's like, okay, uh, since you uh, since all you people are too scared and infantile to talk about abortion, honestly, I'm going to dress it up like Goober the clown and 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 you know make it go down easier. Um, and it. It, it missed the point because society doesn't stigmatize abortion. It, our own consciences do. The reason women are so scared to talk about abortion is because it's horrible and they're, they're guilty and in pain over it. And our society has stigmatized feeling horrible about it. You know, our society is tell you, you're, tells you you're not allowed to feel guilty about this. You're not allowed to feel sad about the loss of your child. And um, so I think, it, it was disturbing to watch, and it, I think for me it came across as it, it, they're intentionally making a very anti-abortion point because everyone's kind of laughing in this uneasily, uneasy way um, because everyone, our consciences, we know deep down that, that it's horrible. Um, but the thing that I thought was really interesting about it, because I, I wanted to understand it, because we get that reaction to the B headlines from leftists all the time, like, how is this right, funny? Right. Where's the joke? I don't right. get it. Right. I wanted to understand it. And I, I looked at all the like the retweets from women of this thing who were saying, like, this is brilliant. I'm in tears. I, I, I've never felt more validated and affirmed by something before. I feel so happy and at peace, blah, 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 blah. And um, it was. It, I mean, it's it's in this very like uh, kind of almost ghoulish way there. they're mourning the death of their children together. (laughs) You know, um, it's, it's not, they're not being honest about it or admitting it, but um, they just knowing that there was another woman out there that had gone through it was uh, help was psychologically, spiritually healing to these women in their minds, you know? And so, um, I'm just, I think I'm just going on and on about this. I don't know where, where, where it's leading, but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was just sad. It was just sad to watch. Yeah. I don't know. What did you have to say about it? No, I'm well, glad I, that I you said, I'm I glad you said that it had angle. to do with That was sort of, that's kind of what you said. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Dad was talking on Facebook about how, you know, usually the best humor is self-deprecating and that mm. what she accidentally did was made a clownish display of abortion, which was not what she was trying to do. It seemed like she got it backwards. And if she really wanted to write a joke about abortion, then she would have made the pro-life people the clown. And he could not understand why she would have dressed as the clown as a pro-abortion person. Like, it was completely backward of what she would have done if she was trying to be funny. And so, yeah, I was the one who said, it's because... Um, she was trying to basically, in frustration, write an anti-joke, you know, like throw up mm. her hands and just say, well, fine, since yes. we can't talk about this the way that I want to or the way I think I want to, 
then I'm just going to pretend like I'm just going to try to do a Trojan horse maneuver where I wrap this speech that I acknowledge is just a speech Mm -hmm. or just an agenda. I'm going to wrap it in this, you know, clown persona. And then maybe Mm -hmm. I can sneak it past everybody's ears. Like they weren't even Mm -hmm. making any bones about that. And I said, you could pull it off if you stood up in a mega church somewhere where they have made an absolute ludicrous show out of worship, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. with the fog machines and the lights. And Mm -hmm. if you stood up in a pair of skinny jeans and, you know, with a, with a cool faux hawk and, um, and you just said, well, fine, since, since this is how we have to do this, I'm going to deliver what is clearly a sermon against performance art in this context by singing this extremely satirical song about, you know, worship, because, because this is a stand I'm taking against your, Against your uh, right. agenda, but would yeah. it be funny? Yeah. Does that count as yeah, comedy? It, people would laugh about. People would laugh in relief. You know, like mm-hmm. Joel was describing. People would be like, "Yes, this is what I've been wanting to say." You do look ridiculous standing up there, and that helps me see how ridiculous all of this has been. But the problem, the problem is the truth <laughs> aspect. The problem yes. is that she is not speaking truth, and so yeah. she's in favor of killing babies and and people are having a hard time getting past that for understandable reasons but um but in her mind she was doing something brave by um by trying to call out what is an elephant in the room for all of them and all of her friends but yeah you don't get it i don't get it i still don't get it yeah i think that like the anti-joke i I like that word anti-jokes seem to be very in vogue these days like or anti-humor like like laughing unironically at just a funny joke without a hint of cynicism is almost like seen as tacky by by like a certain class of people, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I think there, there's something to that where, yeah, it it has to all, all be social commentary. Um, You know, everything is deconstruction. And once you've deconstructed everything, like where else do you go from there? You know? Um, and it, it kind of just, it just devolves from there. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. I thought of a good example actually, because we get criticized on this podcast all the time. If things aren't just a laugh a minute kind of situation, like if you're not joking. Oh shoot. Are we supposed to be laughing? Dang it. Oh no. Like I thought. Tell a joke. Hurry. Right. I get reminded of that almost every day. I thought you were supposed to be a comedian. Correct. And that's what their frustration is too. On SNL, people who are supposed to be funny or are supposed to be telling jokes, I'm sure also get the criticism of that's not funny. And so in response to that, they kind of, it's kind of like flipping the bird to all your critics and saying, well, fine, if you want me to be so funny here, I'm going to have my flower water cannon and my little banana peel that I'm going to slip on. And I'm going to keep doing the same things I've been doing and saying, but I'm going to do it. This is to please all of you who want to see me be a glorified clown mm. all the time because I'm just here for your entertainment, apparently. Okay. That's, That's what they're so, trying to do. So, John, you disagree? I, I You're just so visibly cringing over there. I, well, I feel like you have something to say. It's, it's been a couple of days since we talked about it. And she was, yeah, and this is her position. And I get it. I understand it. My point is, and I don't disagree. My point is that it is that it violates many rules of comedy. You're, you're ultimately, yeah, it has to be truth. It has to be truth. And I agree with both of you that she was, uh, she was covering up the truth. I, I can't imagine, maybe I'm wrong, I can't imagine that anybody is actually proud of an abortion. I can't imagine she, that anybody she was would, speaking her truth. You know yeah. what I mean? It was that's that's where we're at now. There is no truth. There's there's my truth and your truth and her truth and their truth and and I think that's what people were you know who said they were inspired by it. They were inspired by someone quote unquote speaking their truth. Right, trying to stand up and be brave. But you're yeah. right. These are the same people who would not be inspired by you doing a similar <laughs> monologue here on this podcast. If you're like, well, fine, everyone. If you want me to be Mr. Funny Man, then get ready because I've got some really good material for you now. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's what that bit was supposed to be. But all of that to say, you got after you wrote what you wrote, which wasn't bad. You just you wrote about well, thank you. 
thank you for that sort of compliment. Don't be sad and bitter. And it really wasn't bad, depressed. Dad. It wasn't. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. I oh, would man. write. I got to read this now. Yeah. It was good. It was good in that you were talking about the rules of comedy and how to do good. You know, a good piece of straight satire as right. opposed to the anti joke. Right. And and somebody down in the comments, this is why this even matters. Brought up the B. Somebody was like, very good, like good explanation. Now do the B. Okay, now <laughs> do the Babylon B. And I was like, what? She says, they, this is a direct quote, they used to be funny when they were self deprecating about silly Christian culture. But now they're obsessed with race. And as a team of privileged white dudes, it's not funny. For all the reasons you listed here, John, go ahead, Google Babylon B and KKK and see how weird their obsession is. Oh, that's good. No, I, so I want to ask why you guys are obsessed with race and the KKK now. We're just, you know, we're just commenting. The culture's obsessed with race. We're just laughing at it. You know what I mean? I think, uh, yeah, well... It, that's interesting. That does bring up an interesting discussion because what we do is um, it is political satire, and um, sometimes satire is. And I, I think at some level, what what's her name, um, uh, Goober the Clown? Goober. I forget what her actual <laughs> name is. I can't remember either. <laughs> uh, strong. Um, Go Mrs. Mrs. Goober. Mrs. Um, Ms. Goober. Uh, whatever. What she was doing was it was more satire than comedy. Anyway, I, what we're doing is political satire, and sometimes, uh, sometimes comedy is satirical, sometimes satire is comedic. There is overlap there, but they're not exactly the same thing. So, I mean, there there are times when the Babylon Bee, um, I mean, we're we're agenda driven. We're trying to uh, make a point. We're trying to speak truth through humor. That's kind of our our uh, our mission, um, and we want to keep it funny. We want to keep it witty, and we want to make sure that the laughter is always there. Um, but I think our, our kind of our guiding light is, is to speak truth to the culture in, in our way. So, um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have headlines that are pretty, I mean, especially when we're talking about abortion, our, our, our abortion headlines are more, um, maybe cleverly worded than they are funny. Um, and they're there to make a point, you know? So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I guess too. I for, for people expecting us to be, you know, pure comedy, uh, they'll, they, they might find themselves disappointed. Right. I told, I told this particular commenter, like dad's po uh, post was not saying all comedy is self-deprecating. He said that right. very popular comedy tends to be self-deprecating, but there are other forms. And she was like, well, I never said that he said that all comedy was self-deprecating. And I said, okay, well, just to be clear, the bee is not trying to be self-deprecating all the time. Sometimes they're laughing at you. And she yeah. was like, well, I just thought that, that being Christ-like would, you know, require you to maybe not point and laugh at other people, but right. laugh only at yourself. And I said, no, like sometimes telling the truth requires laughing at foolishness. Sometimes the fools are yeah. people on, quote, our side. You know, sometimes yeah. our political allies are being foolish and you can then laugh at them. But yeah. also sometimes it's the other side. And we're not just going to resort to only using self-deprecation mm -hmm. just because that's the only form of humor that you find palatable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And the, the funny thing is we still tell a lot of those jokes, those self-deprecating Christian jokes. We, we turn the we turn the canon back towards conservatives and Christians all the time. Right. They, they just don't get shared as often, <laughs> right. you know, um, because conservatives are very, very serious people. They don't like to be made fun That's of. That's interesting. Kind of, kind of like liberals. So, um, That's interesting. you know, see, I like those the best. I, I, my favorite, I do B, too. my favorite I, B articles are the ones that make fun of the church and they make fun oh, of conservatives. Yeah. Those are my favorites. See, I yeah, do. Me, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I like the I, ones that are poignant to the culture because our culture is so feminist and so yeah. pro LGBT and so like heavy handed social media, especially is just so yeah. heavy handed on the like far so left have, progressive side. Do you yeah. remember the fa the meme that they put out that, that was like your favorite? Don't they do the videos, those short videos that you like, which is the feminist? What? Uh, the B? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Sorry, I'd help if I could. What was it? Jen, Jen Hatmaker suffers. Or? Oh, that no, that was Rachel Held Evans. Rachel yeah, one Held of my Evans. favorite one of my favorite B headlines was Rachel Held Evans concerned after she suffers momentary lapse in doubt. 
<laughs> oh, it's so good. That was before so she good. passed away, so it was a yeah, little less. It was, yeah, but... it was funnier. But... Yeah, it was funnier then. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I think we're we're really just um, we're kind of focusing on where the most ridiculousness is, and I right. guess at at the moment that happens to be in this kind of this wokeness culture that we have and there's just a lot more low-hanging fruit there so that's just by default right where a lot of our jokes will will be yep that was what i told dad the other day i said i think some people are just choking because they want this to be a fair equity thing like you should have exactly Mm -hmm. the same number of jokes over here as you have over there and it's like i'm sorry but it's not our fault that that side over there is doing the more clownish stuff. Like, that's just the yeah. way it is. Uh-huh. You know, I, if 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 we reach the point when uh, you know Christians and we, we take back this culture for Jesus and the church yeah. is is on back on top, uh, we'll 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 be back to writing all our jokes about the church again. I'm sure and how how silly we are. Yeah, if you spend that's time reassuring. on Gab or on other like alternate social oh. media sites, there's plenty of stuff you could say over there about the quote right wing if you want to believe that that's who's actually running those accounts. But sure, yeah, if you spend more time with the right wing, then you will see more foolishness and silly mockable stuff from the right wing. But oh, yeah. right now, it's it's mostly dominated by, like I said, feminists and um, people who are like socialists and, you know, pro-government, mm-hmm. pro-woke, um, all of that. So, Okay, yeah. so one of the things I want to ask you, Joel, uh, and this will be, this will help the be out a lot because there'll be, <laughs> our, our one listener will now know what the answer is to this. Yes. Uh, and that is, it, it, are there any... How often do you guys have a headline, for example, where where you go, yeah, we're not going to do this one because it would it violates our conscience, our mm-hmm. our standards, our code, because um, that has to happen. And a, a, a lot of yeah. people, I, I'm sure, a lot of people in the church uh, don't think that it does. I'm sure a lot of people, are, because they accuse me of not having a filter. And it's like, do you even mm-hmm. think about this stuff? Do you even, do you, yeah. do you even read this before you wrote it? And so, <laughs> yeah. so what what yeah. kind of a process do you guys have for figuring out when you've crossed the line? Well, I, I have um, I have some accountability partners that we'll call them. <laughs> I have uh, so. Uh, Kyle Mann, uh, Kyle Mann, and I will if if we feel like something cr- is close to the line or may cross the line, uh, I'll, we'll usually send it to our founder Adam Ford and and our owner Seth Dillon. Uh, run it by them to see what they think. Uh, sometimes we might kind of soften the language in it a little bit. Sometimes we might throw it out altogether. Um, you know, some of the considerations that we we make are. Uh, well, language, you know, there, there have been some really funny jokes <laughs> that we've come up with that we were just dying to share, but we're just, um, they were kind of pointless and a little off color. Um, and, uh, you know, or maybe just ha- had some slightly off color words in them, um, which we're not necessarily opposed to, but it, it just, um, it just violated our consciences for one, one reason or another. There, there've been jokes that Kyle has written and he really wanted to publish. And I'm like, no man, don't do it. You know, and there's been jokes that I've written and he's, he's like, uh, uh-uh. and so, um, the other thing that we take into consideration too, is how it's going to be received. I mean, anytime we're joking about race, for example, um, if it's a really spicy headline, um, it better be funny. It better make the point clearly. Um, and not be taken the wrong way. Uh, we kind of have stepped in it in the past with, with jokes like that. So we're, we're very careful. We don't want the um, people receiving it the wrong way to overshadow the, the joke that we're trying to make. So we're always conscious of that. And um, sometimes we fail, sometimes we succeed. But um, I, it is funny. I, yeah, I, we get the same reactions. Like, you guys are so audacious. Like, you know, <laughs> I, you guys go there. Like, you you actually say the stuff that... that everyone else is afraid to say and and um i mean we're over here just like we're just saying what we think is funny and what we think is true and i guess in this culture that happens to be audacious well it is and i would uh i I guess i want to dig into the to the uh violating your conscience and uh, and in, in regards to uh 
I, I, as a person who writes comedy, there's certain bits that that I know when they come out of me. Okay, this is never going to see the light of day. There's no, there's no. This is hilarious, but I can't ever do this in any yeah. in front of any sort of an audience. Yeah, and those jokes have to happen. You can't you can't only write jokes that are appropriate for all audiences because the process right. is such that yes. the jokes are going to be created um, and they're off color and they're vulgar and some of them are, are absolutely wrong and uh, and, yes. and and sinful uh, yes but but you have to create them because yes. they they get generated in the process of of writing exactly that's that's one thing we always uh, are we have a kind of a shared uh, you know, a group chat channel where all our writers, our part-time writers, uh, will, will get together and we'll pitch stuff. And, and I'm always telling them like, this is kind of a safe space guys. Like, you know, get the crap out, you know, something comes up in the news. We're going to come up, we're going to tell like four or five really bad, horrible jokes that we would probably never publish. Just get them out, (laughs) get them out right now and just get the, the flow going. Um, and it's okay. And hopefully that Slack channel never sees the light of day, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, so. and, but that's the process mm-hmm. that as I'm teaching, uh, you know, I wrote a book and I've got a workshop where I'm trying to help Christians be funnier. That's yeah. a very difficult thing for a lot of Christians to, to be at peace with is yeah. when they start thinking funnier, uh, mm-hmm. they have a lot of anxiety because there's some really inappropriate things that... Yeah, because it's honest, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, in any given day, a thousand inappropriate thoughts are going to go through this brain, you know? Um, and we never talk about it, <laughs> you know? Right. We're never honest. When when you when you go to church and someone says, you know, how are you doing, brother? And they shake your hand. You don't say, hey, here's this inappropriate thought that I just had three seconds ago, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and I think that level of openness and honesty can kind of scare uh, people in this Christian culture where that is oftentimes very uh, guarded and, you know, you kind of put on the spiritual face for other people and, and there's, a, there's a way that you're expected to be and, and behave. Um, so I, I relate to that anxiety at some level. I understand where it comes from. Right. And so you guys, since you're, this is how you make a living. This is the thing that you do. Uh, how do you, how do you be at peace with that? I mean, what do you, what is, what's your conversation with God like? <laughs> after? Well, one of the things you just mentioned was that you want to make sure that you don't step in it and you want to make sure that it's clear what you're trying to say. But we all know yeah. that there are still people who criticize you and say that you're not Christ-like. I mean, if I go yeah. back to this comment here. Let's, let's read some of those. They were, funny. <laughs> they were funny when they were self-deprecating about Christian culture things that are ridiculous. Now yeah. they get their jollies mocking the marginalized. Right. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. Down. If they would just take the misleading Christian label away from themselves, out of their name, I wouldn't care less. <laughs> but nothing about the way they mock the vulnerable mirrors anything Jesus spoke uh, about love in the gospel. Right. It's yeah. just that's just straight Marxism. That's all that is. <laughs> yeah. So, so my question is: Do you think do you think that they really don't get it? I mean, do you or do you think that they're just putting it on and pretending like they really believe that you guys are mocking the marginalized because they think that that's going to get you to stop talking and because ways they, they don't have like. no sense of humor. Yeah. Right. No, I I think at some level this is what people really believe because this this ideology and, and you know like we can maybe get into kind of this whole idea of wokeness uh, that we wrote the book about, but it's, it's, it is like the water that we swim in now. I mean, and it's in the church, it's everywhere. I mean, um, when you talk about, you know, mocking the marginalized, you know, the, the big phrase used right now is punching down, you know, comedy is not supposed to punch down. It's supposed to punch up. And and that is rooted in this, this, (laughs) this neo-Marxist idea that like everything can be explained in terms of oppressed versus oppressor. Right. And, and virtue is determined by whether or not you're, you are uh, liberating the oppressed um, and attacking the oppressor. And, and our culture has decided they've already decided who these, who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed and it completely doesn't line up with reality so for example you know you you talk about the transgender movement we make fun of the transgender movement and the like the ludicrousness the anti-science nature of it um someone in you know who is kind of uh indoctrinated into this woke worldview would say that we are mocking 
these oppressed, uh, marginalized people. Right. Uh, whereas the transgender movement is is one of the most culturally powerful movements, like in modern history. I mean, yeah. you can lose your job, you can lose your livelihood, um, if you if you simply say that men can't become women and vice versa. Right. I mean, that's where we're at right now. And the 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 most powerful man on earth, the president of of the United States, subscribes to this this worldview. So, you know, when we when we are are mocking the you know the transgender movement. We, we see ourselves as mocking uh, a very powerful oppressor in one right. sense, whereas Punching the other up. side thinks thinks of themselves as the oppressed. So it's, it's very weird. Yeah. So I think what dad's asking is, how do you, you know, on an individual or on a group level, I guess as a group of writers, determine when the correct people are upset, when you've crossed a line because you genuinely have done something that would be considered... Um, sinful, you know, something that your conscience yeah. would, would convict you about versus when people are accusing you falsely of being unchristlike when it's not true. Right. It's mm. not possible to not offend people. If you're, if you're doing <laughs> yeah. comedy, it, if you're saying anything, it doesn't have to be comedy, but if you're making any sort of public proclamations, you are going to upset somebody. And yeah. so the, that, that I've dealt with for my entire career, the Christian people who are like, well, you don't understand that when you say that, it's going to drive people away from Jesus. It's like, yeah, it's going to drive somebody away from Jesus. You know who drove most people away from Jesus? Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if you, but how do you, and I'm, I guess I'm asking for, yeah, your mechanism and how, how yeah. do you. How do you live at peace when you know that some people are going to accuse you, live you of being Christ, people are going to be Yeah. No, it's, I, I don't I can't tell you I have a, a specific methodology or a clear line beyond just like my conscience with things. Um, I think I don't know. And there are times when like my conscience might be bothering me about a, a line of joking that we're doing, whereas it's not bothering anybody else or it might be bothering other people. And it's, right. It's right. You know, bothering me. And so um, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you guys something here. I, early on when I first started, um, I wrote a headline that went like mega viral. It got like over a million shares on Facebook. And this was after the um, uh, this was after Bill Clinton had gone on a documentary and he had said that his affair with Monica Lewinsky was uh, to relieve stress or something like that. It was like that's that was the big quote that was going around in the, in the news cycle. You know, it was to relieve stress. Yeah. And so I wrote this headline that said, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton says Epstein assassination was to relieve stress. Right. And um, it was funny and it got a lot of shares, but there was something that went off in my conscience about it because um, we were we, we were laughing about someone who had died or been killed, even though he was a horrible, monstrous person, Epstein. Um you know, Hillary Clinton, in spite of the fact that, you know, we kind of make fun of her being this cackling witch or whatever, she's a real person, too, right. who was cheated on by her husband. And I, I just started to think about, like, her as a human being. Um, and we're, we're, you know, writing this headline about her assassinating someone and then turning it into a, a punchline about her husband cheating on her. And I just, it felt... Um, it, it, it really bothered my conscience. Uh, and I... I I didn't like that it it went as viral <laughs> as it did, and so I think I, I guess me personally, and I can't speak to all the all the writers at the B. I, I um, if we're mocking something, um, we want to be mocking an idea. We want to be mocking philosophy. We want to be mocking idol idolatry. Um, we don't want to be uh, mocking people personally necessarily. You know, and, and if we are if we are kind of making a person the butt of the joke, it's it's in the service of of mocking their ideology or, or their idolatry. Yeah, right. symbolically. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, right. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I think it's just a, kind of an individual thing. And, and I, I think that that um, that line uh, of conscience will be different uh, from Christian to Christian. Um you know, and you just kind of have to, you kind of just have to answer to God on those things. You know, it's, it, it, um, that's, that's really, I can't say much more than that about it, I guess. Right. Uh, 
if you have the perspective, and I try to have this perspective, though I will admit that I am a flawed individual, okay? I'll admit that. Uh, okay. I will let you admit that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes my pride upsets my apple cart. But it's, I genuinely try to keep the perspective, like you have said, that I'm saying true things. And then mm-hmm. I ask myself, okay, if this was true of me, would I still think this is funny? And if the answer is yes, then I'm, I'm okay with it. And I, I think that's part of the reason that I appreciate making fun of the church and making fun of, making fun of our people because yeah. I am one of our people. And if you're, yeah. if you're making fun of the church that I go to, it's like, okay, well, that should be made fun of. If I'm honest, you know, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. And the bee has pointed that out. Mm-hmm. And the same thing holds true because I'm I'm a person who ag- agrees 100% with what you said. It's always it's always appropriate to make fun of ideas, any idea. Yeah. And if you can yeah. separate those from the people who hold those ideas, yes. I think that's crucial in this in this yeah. culture because we will not tolerate anybody being mentioned by name. Right. Uh, but we have we have such a uh, weak society now i mean we are just so mentally and emotionally weak that Mm -hmm. we can't even tolerate having our ideas mocked even if nobody knows that we have those ideas the the i've written posts on this idea where i would say look if the shoe fits then wear it you know Mm -hmm. i've got an example but you don't have to tell me that the shoe fits i've got an example (laughs) just yesterday i left a comment on some random news story where this lady went viral on TikTok because she told all of her daughters that virginity doesn't exist. <laughs> Long story. I don't even know what she's talking about. She's like... I love the internet. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was invented by the patriarchy just oh, to keep women to down. That. Like, it's not, it doesn't exist. It's not real. And so then oh you had gosh. a bunch of ladies in the comment section who were like, well, you know, men have been praised for being promiscuous for years, and so we it's our turn and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so it's our turn to be All awful. I said... All I said in the comment section was, for those who are confused, whether you're a male or a female, sleeping around probably means you're not good marriage material, period. <laughs> That's it. I had so many people show up in the comments to be like, oh, I think you're you. confused. Right. I think you should be able to sleep with whoever you want. And I, so after like uh. a dozen of those rack up, I just wrote, okay, so everybody in the comments is basically just holding up a sign that says, she's talking about me. I have it's no me. self-control. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's me. And I didn't need to know it. Like, they could have been, yeah. they could have disagreed and moved on without outing themselves as these people who believe in promiscuity. Yeah. Like, but they didn't. Well, it is, right. it's true that I, I think as we've, as we've gotten away from, um, like letting our creator define who we are as people made in his image. And he tells us who we are. I think people are increasingly defined by their ideology. Like it's, it's not just something that, you know, they believe and we can argue about these things and go back and forth. It's like, if you attack my ideology, you are attacking like my very soul, you know? And uh, so there, there is that sense where, you know, people do get those things confused that if you, if you mock the way they think or, or, uh, or question it, um, they see that as, as, as hitting them personally. Yeah. Right. Which Christ wouldn't do. Christ well, wouldn't never. punch people well, personally. Well, but it, and that's because that's because they they worship themselves, right? I mean, they've got their own right. their feelings. They've I would got say. their own self. More specifically, they worship the way they feel at any given moment, which is why it sometimes gets really confusing because you're like, wait, you're actually saying the opposite of what you were saying like six minutes ago. Well, they feel differently now, and yeah. so. They are not consistent, even from one topic to another. That's why they can be pro-choice when it comes to baby killing, but but not pro-choice when it comes to vaccines. Like this mm-hmm. seems crazy to a person who's like, "Well, don't you worship the self?" And it's like, "Well, more specifically, the feelings, because they have different feelings attached mm-hmm. to both of those." Well, they don't situations. see themselves as different from the feelings, right? Well, no, but but your feelings change more often than like you know your hair color or your outfit or whatever. So anyway. Well, I, I, side, side note. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, to basically 
defend, not that you need it, but I wanted to defend the Babylon Bee in case oh, Carl. thank you. They feel better now that they know Carl, you're standing guard. In corner. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, you guys. You're, Turn my power. We need some com- more comedians in our corner. My powerful yes. support. Well, and I wanted to mention, too, we're hitting the hour mark, so we're going to wrap up here, but I wanted to mention the oh. next time that, like, uh, anybody at the Bee wants to take a sick day or have car trouble, they can, we're happy to send him back out to Cali for another yeah, podcast recording. Uh, heck yeah, man. Or you can send them to good old Toledo, Ohio. We'll hang out here in my laundry room. That's way closer, oh. by the way. <laughs> yeah. could get to Toledo. You're not too far. It's been <laughs> so long since I've hung out in an Ohio laundry room. <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> there's nothing like it. Uh, well, I could, it looks homey. It looks comfortable. It is. Yeah, there's a nice fluorescent light above and, yeah. Some I, I look it's good great. fluorescent light. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a primarily Carl. I'm talking to you that if you have some anxiety, still have some residual anxiety about uh, funny things that you've said or or thought, and it has hurt some people's feelings. Uh, write to us. Yeah, Ask write to us. us and tell us. Yeah, I did. I made this joke and somebody got mad at me or somebody was sad and. What do I do with that? It's like, well, you know, Joel is telling us that they go through the same sort of things. Yeah, there are lines. And it's true. And we gotta be. But we, we do just, have hearts. We care. <laughs> we care. We do care. I really, really appreciate <laughs> you coming on the podcast. It was great to get uh, to meet you. Thanks for having me. I only wish I could have been on longer. Yes. <gasps> You can come back I do too. I wish you could have been on longer. We could do a running segment where I read all of your like (laughs) critical comments to you. We both want him to be on longer, so why are we ending this podcast? Who made you in charge? I made myself in charge. Stop the music. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm my own god. All right. Bye, Carl. Bye, Carl. Play the album. You can find John Branion on MeWe, Gab, and YouTube. Also be part of the show by emailing your questions and comments to nextdoor at johnbranion.com. We've loved having you at our table, neighbor. See you next time and bring some friends with you.